According to Gartner Research, only 17% of buyers' time is spent speaking directly with suppliers. Think about that for a moment. 83% of the time, therefore, the people who make buying decisions about coaching, the people who make buying decisions about facilitation, the people who make buying decisions about training, don't do so on the basis of conversations with you and me. They do so on the basis of gathering information from people just like them, from informal sources, perhaps reading, but also from other people in their shoes, in the same industry, in the same role, in the same situation, with the same challenges. So what if you could facilitate an event where you get to listen in and learn exactly what these conversations are, what they're saying to each other, what your prospects and their peers are thinking, what they're doing, what they're looking for, and why. And this is where running a virtual roundtable for your training business, your coaching business, your facilitation business comes in handy. A virtual roundtable is not for your prospects and customers to learn from you. That's a mistake. That's what your marketing does. Instead, a virtual roundtable is for your prospects to learn from each other, thanks to your event, and for you to listen in as they do so. So my question to you today is whether you've thought of running such a virtual roundtable and how this could work for you. Well, that's what today is all about. This is episode 125 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett-Hayes. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast. This is the show for freelance trainers, for facilitators, for training business owners, for training consultants, just like you and me all around the world. And the goal of every episode of the show every Thursday is to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Now, as I said before the music, today's topic is all about virtual roundtables, and I've made some notes which I think will help you to achieve and to run one of these events and and why. So what is a virtual roundtable? I briefly touched upon this before the music. It's essentially an event with quality people who deserve a seat at that table. So ordinarily, in, let's say, pre-COVID, you'd have face-to-face events. I've been to plenty of them. I'm sure you have too. Your training, your workshops, your facilitation are face-to-face events. But virtually these days, we need to organize something which is tight, which is focused. People have a real reason to turn up because we are absolutely slammed with online events. Many people have Zoom fatigue. They are annoyed. They are uh, overwhelmed with all the online content. So this is something that's really got to come across as not a sales pitch, but something that facilitates networking, connection, and of course, learning, not from you, but from people just like them. So this thing to keep in mind here is that it's not a pitch fest. I want you to facilitate an event uh, selflessly so you can attract quality people to the event. And of course, this serves people at that event. It moves the needle for them. It it addresses challenges that they face. And there are a bunch of reasons why running these events has a huge benefit for you. And a couple of reasons that come to mind is, first of all, 
reflective trust. The fact that you've gathered impressive people, people that your audience may admire. It could be, they could be authors, they could be speakers, they could be experts, they could be people with similar roles. The fact that you've done this, this reflects back on you, doesn't it? It makes you look good. The second reason is that it's confidence building stuff. So lining up a few round tables over time helps you actually to get into the minds of the people you're selling to. And because they're at that table without any fear of being pitched by you, they're more likely to have an open and honest conversation with you when the time comes to sell something to them, to pitch something to them. But you first of all have to build this trust. And therefore a virtual table, a virtual round table, where you're seen as a facilitator, someone who convenes experts and doesn't sell expertise, that's a different thing. This is more likely to build confidence in you so that when you go out to speak to them, you're more likely to feel you know them, you understand them, and you can connect with them. And the third reason that I think roundtables are really helpful in a virtual environment is that you get to listen in on conversations where ordinarily you would not be present. Think about that. You don't know most of the time what goes on in your prospect's head. I don't either. But when you facilitate some kind of event where people open up and share their thoughts with people just like them, you get to listen in and capture strategically important information. What is it that they're looking to do right now? Why? What have they tried? What have people come away with in terms of experience? And what do other people in the room think? And it's amazing when you listen to this VOC, voice of the customer, the impetus The insight this will give you in terms of what to sell, how to sell it, when to sell it, and to whom to sell it. So the key point here is that holding a virtual round table is not, as I've said, for your prospects and customers to learn from you. That's a huge mistake because people switch off. It's another sales pitch. Instead, it's for yourself to listen to them and to learn from them. What are their concerns, their ideas, their trends? What strategy are they involved in doing right now? So you might come away with leads, but that's not the goal. You want to understand the needs, not gather leads. And when I spoke with Andy Lopata, author of the Apprentice Hall or Financial Times book Recommended, this is a couple of almost 100 episodes ago, he told me that you can sell through your network but not to your network in events like this. Okay, think of that. You're not using this virtual roundtable to sell to your network. You're selling through your network by being someone who builds a network. So people will come back when they feel that you're connecting people with them that are just like them. If you turn this event into a sales pitch, they will ditch, they'll run. So what kinds of people should you invite to your roundtable? Well, I think a couple of people come to mind. First of all, you want to talk to the kinds of people that have got something nice to say about you. So invite some existing customers, some existing people you deal with. So if you will, they're in your corner, almost like a fan. So when a particular topic is raised, they can perhaps allude to something that they've learned from you and the results they've gotten from you. Now, this might to you seem like an inverted sales pitch. It kind of is, but because it's coming from people other than you, it's not seen as something 
that is said by you. And we call this persuasion. That's a term created by Robert Cialdini, the author of the book, The Science of Persuasion, one of my favorite books. So he talks about the fact that when people are saying things about you, and these are not people in your organization, what they say is more than likely to be believed, at least much more likely to be believed than if you were to say this about yourself. So that's the first thing. Think of the kinds of people who've got nice things to say about you, okay? Secondly, the kinds of people that you would like to connect with because their reputation, their standing in, I don't know, whatever area it is that you train people in or facilitate workshops in or coach people in, the kinds of people who, by having them there, this says something about the power of your influence, your network. Maybe you can think right now, as you're listening to this, maybe of some thought shapers, some thought leaders, some influencers who would like to connect with people just like them. So it's a two-way street. And by having them there at the table, this reflects back on you. And I think of those like VIPs. I'm not going to call them celebrities, but they're people whose presence really highlights your powerful network. And the third kinds of people I would invite would be people that you would like to eventually sell to. And they will be impressed by the event, the fact that it's running, the fact that you've organized this, the fact that you're bringing together people whom they admire, people whom they can learn from. So if you're in doubt, you can look at your LinkedIn network and think, if I get a small group of people in the room, like an imaginary dinner party, who would I want there? What would they contribute to the group and why? And again, the same is true for them. We don't want this to be turned into their event where they take over and start pitching to your audience. So you've got to be very clear about the ground rules. Whom do I want there in the room and why? What will they contribute? How will I facilitate or chair this event in such a way that it doesn't come across as a sales pitch? But I'm learning by virtue of the conversations between people that I'm actually inviting in the room. So, I would say to you not to go overboard and invite, say, 15, 16 people. And the reason is it becomes very unmanageable. I'm running a bunch of training sessions right now, and I've capped them at 10 people per session on Zoom. And even then, that is a lot of people, because if people are putting hands up or they're talking over one another, it tends to take away from the experience. So less is more. Have fewer people in the room. Be very clear about the kinds of people that you want there. And think clearly of the kinds of contribution that they can make. Now, if you're inviting people whom you know quite well, it's okay, I think, to maybe seed the conversation by asking them to raise particular topics. You can raise the topics yourself, but often because they come from people other than you, it's more likely to be seen as something that's not aligned with, with some agenda. So think of what you can actually do to prompt conversations have a very clear agenda. And this is why you've got to do so. It's because time is tight. And I can, even recently as two weeks ago, think of an event I co-hosted where the guy I was co-hosting with went on for 40 minutes, which left me with just 20 minutes to cover my part of the conversation. And I felt really hugely under pressure. And of course, this affects performance. So if you're co-hosting an event, you want to be really clear on who is saying what when, and how you can support them and how they can support you. We're not going to, again, cram information into people's minds. You want to minimize your talking. And that's something, again, I've not done very well sometimes. I really want to talk less and listen more and have people in the room 
speak so that they can listen from other people or listen to other people just like them. And of course, I can capture information that they're exchanging with each other. Now, if you're using Zoom, you could hook up otter.ai. Otter is an account or it's a it's an artificial intelligence platform that creates transcripts automatically. And this is incredible when it works well. So basically you'll hire or you'll set up your Zoom room. You will connect Otter, having signed up for uh, the software. I'm not selling this to you. I'm not making any commission here. But when you do so and link this into Zoom, as the conversation goes on, Otter listens to the conversation and automatically writes full transcripts and also can differentiate between who's speaking. So when you watch the video back, uh, you also see not just the video on Zoom, you're also seeing the transcript on the right-hand side, exactly what people are saying. And Otter, by the way, does an extremely good job of distinguishing between speakers, even when you have a room full of people, and also captures the information word for word that they're sharing. So when you look back on this, you'll be amazed what information you have perhaps thought you heard or misunderstood or didn't quite capture. And the transcript reveals this to you. And you can use this to create great content then, you know, create content which resonates with people, the stuff on your website. But furthermore, you can use this as marketing or conversational intelligence then to know exactly how to pitch to people or sell to people when the time is right. The virtual event is not the right occasion. I think I've made that quite clear. It's an event to facilitate conversation. And when the time comes, you can leverage this information, this intelligence to then sell better and sell more to the right people. So how do you plan one? Well, I think that you've got to do a couple of things. First of all, if you've got a VA, a virtual assistant, you can enroll them or or enlist them to come up with some kind of content that you can put out on social media to attract some people. Now, otherwise, you could start with your very first one and just invite people whom you know from your immediate network, people you have some kind of relationship with. So let's say, for example, you want to gather some people from HR. Well, you'd look at your network and say, whom do I know who is in HR and would be interested in learning more about this topic. Not from me, but from people just like them. So you get a couple of people to say yes, and then you go out, you find more people like that, you set the event up, you give it a name, and you facilitate the conversation. Now, is it as simple as that? Well, yes and no. Obviously, for logistical reasons, there's more to it than that. But on the surface, that is exactly what a virtual event is. It's a virtual chat. You're bringing people together, who want to be in the room with other people just like them and learn from them. So if you're doing this properly, you need to treat this as an event which has a beginning, has an agenda, has an end. It has a list of invitees. It has well-chaired points. And you're conscious of how to keep the conversation going and what to do if, if conversation doesn't flow. So you need some kind of moderator experience. And again, I think if you start small... You might be nervous initially, but as you practice these, you become less of someone trying to sell and someone encouraging other people to tell, okay? You're more of a moderator, which is a difficult mindset. Again, as trainers, we often want to inject information into the conversation. And I I get that. I've done this too. And I've been told to stop doing that so much. 
when I just sit back and facilitate the conversation, it's amazed, it's amazing what people actually come up with by themselves. So that's something you may want to practice before you do a large event. Maybe run a couple of these with people you know, people who don't mind if you stuff up or screw up. So when you practice these, the next time in a formal setting with people you admire, people you want to introduce to your network, think of them like bigger names, people who impress you, impress guests, people who've got something to add. These are the kinds of events that you really want to to publicize. When those events come, you'll feel more practiced, you'll feel more confident. So developing moderator experience is a different set of skills from trainer or facilitator experience, where often you're trying to create uh, learning points and share models and so on. This is an event which is chaired by you, run by you, but not necessarily the person that's going to, well, host it. And I've seen people run great events where they bring in a third party, an MC, a moderator, a professional host to run the event on their behalf. Now, I'm not saying this is the place to start. I think in time, that's where I would like to end up. Maybe that's where you want to end up too. So if we think of this logistically, again, working on your own or with a VA, think of the purpose. What is the purpose of this virtual event? Okay. Come up with a very tight agenda, a very specific goal. So people are clear, excuse me, on the value of turning up to this event as opposed to some other event. People these days, as I've said, are snowed under with invitations to loads of events online. So yours really has to be very clear in terms of the value add. What is it that your event will help them to do? It could be something that they learn. It could be something that they begin to understand. It could be just even the fact that they connect with people in your network, people just like them. The second thing is to think of the kinds of questions that they would ask, the kinds of information they would like to gather. And this will help to avoid misunderstandings when it comes to the agenda. You also need a timeline, so an appropriate date, time of the week. I think Friday mornings can work very well, depending on the culture and where you are in the world, because it's often over here in, let's say, the West, when people have finished the week. Mondays is not the the best time for one of these sessions, I think. It tends to be the kind of time at the end of the week when people have maybe achieved something, they've got things out of the way, they're more relaxed about their their pressure, about, about the workload that they have. So if you think of the time of day, that's appropriate. The time of the week, that's appropriate. And sometimes the time of the month. You don't want to be doing this when someone is in, you know, sales kickoff mode or they're in planning mode or it's it's the time they have quarterly reviews. You want to find out what is the best time to do this. And often by looking at the the times when other events like yours are run, that's a good indication of what time of the month, of the week, of the day makes sense to run your session. Also think of some kind of pre-reading. Maybe think of the kinds of things you want people to read or to watch. You could film a quick video, which gets people in the into the mindset of what you'll be talking about or what you'll be sharing in terms of the agenda on the day. And also, I would say tip number five is to establish some ground rules. Establish a code of conduct to limit undesirable behavior. You might say, well, I don't need to do this. I think you do, because you might end up with people saying something untoward. Now, that doesn't happen typically, but you could have someone who dominates or, let's say, try some kind of sales pitch of their, of their service. And that's something I think you should really be careful as, as well, careful of, is 
not making this public initially because sometimes I've seen events where other people who are in your and my business come along and try and capture some leads from your audience. You don't want that, believe me. You really want to be clear on the kinds of people who are there so it doesn't turn into a pitch fest or a sales pitch from either you or unknown third parties. So one, establish a purpose. Number two, have specific questions or major points for your agenda. Number three, have a clear timeline, start, finish, breaks. I would think 90 minutes is actually max for one of these sessions, and that's even pushing it at 90 minutes. Have some key information to get people to focus on before the event, pre-reading some kind of video that you've recorded to watch. And fifthly, have ground rules which establish a code of conduct for that event. Now, on the day, I would run a roundtable by beginning with a topic, explain to the people why this event's taking place, why it's relevant, how and why the people are in the room, get people to introduce themselves very quickly. But I would be very careful about letting people go off on tangents, give people a couple of topics, maybe name, uh, role, and the goal. Name, role, goal for this particular event and go on from there. I've seen events run where the first 15 minutes are just introductions and people really get annoyed. So I would rather, if I were you, and I've learned this the hard way, I would rather make the introductions myself because I can time it properly than have people just meander and, uh, you know, some people will do a short introduction, others will do a long one. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to tell a story. Stories are great in terms of virtual workshops or virtual roundtables, I should say, because it clarifies why this event is happening, why this agenda has been put together, why they're here. Tell a story because it resonates emotionally with the people in the room and often provides a great basis for the upcoming conversation. If it helps, think of questions to ask to facilitate this discussion. Again, we're listening to what people say, we're capturing what they've said, how they've said it, we're paraphrasing to the audience what's just been said, and maybe asking a question on the basis of that remark by someone in your audience. At some point, when you feel you're about to change topic, you could recap the main points, recognizing each person's contribution. You could ask uh, people to share their favorite idea or their favorite approach to a particular thing. Let's say, for example, it's uh, customer care training or communication skills training. You could say, well, Lisa, what do you think of this? Or uh, AJ, what do you think of this? And what William has just said is this, what, what do you think, Simon? So you're encouraging and facilitating this conversation. You're the host, you're the chair. And this is a different role, again, from leaping in with your ideas. And this, again, is a note to myself. I've made this mistake in the past. I have a little voice in me telling me to speak up and give my answer to the problem. And that's not what you should be doing. You're there to facilitate, to hold back, and to let people exchange information between themselves. You just get to listen in, okay? If there is, of course, some something of value that pops into your mind, like a book or a video, you could all you, you could share that with your audience. You could stick a link into the chat room or you could say, actually on that topic, there's something I think you'll find valuable. I will send a link to it after the event, but you're not going to jump in in the middle of the event and start teaching or training. Again, this is a critical and commonly made mistake. If it helps, after your event, provide some kind of guide or cheat sheet or summary of the main points. I think people often appreciate this because after the event, people may have forgotten some key points, but by giving them 
some kind of download, if you will, some kind of list of key points and who's made them, this again makes you look good because you're providing extra value to them after the event. It's also a great reason to have a connection with them and open up a conversation with them. You never know what emerges after your event in terms of sales, in terms of leads. But again, we're not doing this in the event. Something else you could do is during the roundtable is to run a poll. And I use an app called Slido, S-L-I dot D-O. And you can find this in the Google Play Store or on the Apple Store. And it's an app for free. There is a paid plan if you like, and you can run polls, which people can then use their mobile phones to answer. And you can share your screen as the results come in anonymously. And it's fascinating how people react or respond to their opinions and to the opinions of their peers. And this is a really great tool to use during your roundtable. It also breaks up the roundtable because if there's too much talking, people kind of tune out. So when you get people to do something with their hands, like, hey guys, here's the code for the Slido poll, um, download the app and just enter this number right now and click on the answer that appeals to you. Those results come up in real time live on your screen. You can share the screen in Teams or Zoom or go to webinar or webinar jam or whichever tool you're using for your virtual roundtable. And people are really fascinated by what comes up on the screen. And of course, the results, because they're live and honest, unfiltered by you and come from people just like them, this often initiates a fascinating conversation. So it's amazing how much power this has and how little work you have to do when you're using tools like Slido, polls, to conduct some kind of information gathering from people in the room, not from you. The other thing then to do is to think of ways to facilitate connection. So when you're making introductions, before you wrap up, I should say, at the end of your roundtable, you could remind people to connect with each other on, on LinkedIn. And I'm not just assuming that LinkedIn is the only social network or business network out there. If you're in German-speaking countries, there's Zing, X-I-N-G. But, you know, for all of us listening, more than likely, I, I would say that we're all on LinkedIn and everyone you would possibly hope to sell to is on LinkedIn too. So that's the common entry point. Connect, connect with people, encourage people to connect with each other. And again, by doing so, you are seen as a hub. You're seen as a facilitator of connecting, not just someone who's selling, but someone who facilitates connection with other people. And again, psychologically, this is huge because you're seen as someone who's not selling, but facilitating connection. It elevates your social influence, your business influence in their minds. And the last thing I would say is to remind people or to put in people's minds the fact that there's another session coming up in X number of weeks time. And I would say the cadence is up to you. Some people would say every two months, months. Some people would say every three months. You don't want to do this too often, otherwise it loses value. But remind people that there will be an invitation from you in the near future to your next virtual roundtable, excuse me. And maybe you could run a survey. So you could actually run a survey using SurveyMonkey to get people's feedback. What do they like about the event? What kinds of topics would they find valuable to have next time in your virtual event? And because this agenda, this is key, because this agenda is coming from them, it's user audience generated, it's again less likely to be seen as a sales pitch because this is the thing that people want themselves 
to steer. They want to control the agenda. People want to have influence over what they watch, what they listen to. It's a bit like having the remote control. When you give the audience the remote control and watch what they tune into and why they like what they tune into, it's instructive in terms of telling you what they actually find valuable from sessions just like yours. So the more likely, the more that your roundtable is guided by what the audience want, the more valuable it is in their eyes and the more valuable and likely it is that people will come back again and again. And again, it's like a a closing or never-ending circle. It just builds the power of your network. It builds the power of your virtual roundtable until such time, actually, and you will find this, you'll have to turn people away because it'll be so valuable and so influential. People thinking of what's called the principle of scarcity. And again, this is from Robert Cialdini's work, The Science of Persuasion. When people feel excluded from an event or feel they can't access an event like your round table, they're more likely to view it as valuable. It's funny how that works. When people can't have things or are not eligible for things, they're more likely to value things. So think of that principle too. You do not want everyone at that table. You want to keep this tight, small, focused, valuable so people want to be there. And if they can't be there, maybe in time you could run this as a paid event. And again, this will take time. You have to build a value by having less people at the table, the right people at the table, having the right conversations among people at the table. If you do this, you'll be amazed what value this leads to. So thank you again for your time today. This has been really interesting and This has been sparked by an experience I had recently, learning firsthand from running my own roundtable, virtual roundtable, and of course, from running one with a co-host, and also from not doing things very well and learning what things I should do better next time. If you found this valuable, please share this with other facilitators, coaches, trainers just like you out there. There are lots of us out there who need help, and this podcast is designed to help people in your shoes and in my shoes. There's a fresh episode of the podcast every single Thursday on your favorite podcast platform of choice. So until next week, keep training, keep selling, look after yourself and tune in next time. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.